Ksenia Zemtsova is the co-founder of Art Night, a hugely ambitious free contemporary art festival that takes place in dedicated parts of London over one summer weekend. Art Night is growing year on year and recently completed its third and most ambitious festival yet, attracting some 70,000 visitors to 50 sites, experiencing 150 artists. It's dedicated to widening audiences for contemporary art and offering them the opportunity to present bold new work outside of the gallery walls. Ksenia and her small but ambitious team have bold plans for 2019, which for now are under wraps. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is Your London Legacy. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and I'm delighted today to say I'm with Ksenia. Have I pronounced that correctly? <laughs> yes, almost. It's Ksenia. Ksenia. Yeah. Ksenia. And you better pronounce your surname for me as well. But how do you say your surname? Zemtova. Zem- Ksenia Zemtova. Zemtova. And we're sitting in the very opulent Ham Yard Hotel in a little niche area in the back streets of Soho. We did originally try to get into the um, Picture House Central, just around the corner in Piccadilly, only to find that when we walked in there, they'd uh, the London Film Festival had taken it over and uh, we couldn't get in. So we moved to this lovely hotel and uh, I'm very pleased to, to welcome welcome you today to your London Legacy podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your day. Thank you for uh, inviting me. That's an absolute pleasure. Now, you've got a fascinating background, and we're going to talk about your involvement in uh, Arts Night, which is a huge festival, public arts festival that you put on, a uh, cultural festival that you put on every year, every summer. And I think you've done your third one this year, is that correct? Yes, we did. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about that in what, a bit more detail about that. But just talk me through how you got involved in arts in the first place, your your involvement. I think you worked with Christie's before, is that correct? So yes, well, that was just a work experience. Uh-huh. My background is not really in the arts. Okay. I studied political science, but I was always interested in the cultural policies and how we can bridge the cultural sector, the arts, with the public urban realm, and how can we ensure that the widest and also the most diverse audiences can experience arts and culture in different forms. So it all came about when I was working at the mayor's office in Paris in the culture team on a festival called Nuit Blanche. And this festival is now over 10 years old. It's one of the largest festivals in Paris, welcoming a million visitors every year. It was exported in 30 cities around the world. And the concept is fairly simple. It's an all-night celebration of the art in the city. So when I came here to London to finish my studies, I just saw a gap and an opportunity to bring something similar to London because I thought it was important at the time to present an arts project that would be completely free on a large scale and that would also explore the nighttime temporality. So things going on by night as opposed to by day uh, were not that common four years ago. And since then, there has been a big shift, I think, in the public, private perception of what we could do by night. Um, The night star was appointed at the GLA. um, The night tube started. And more and more nighttime cultural initiatives are now taking place throughout the year. It's an interesting point that you raise about nighttime because my experience of London is just when you want to go and do something late at night, most of the places in London typically shut. So, you know, all the bars and restaurants, unless you're going to a nightclub, of course. Yes, and that's that's what was our idea is to provide a different offer to young people, families, to everyone really, an alternative to the nightclubs and the pubs. Mm. But still, 
retaining this celebratory feeling. So it wouldn't purely be like your usual visit to a gallery or a museum. The festival is really also a platform to celebrate the city, its hospitality, restaurants, music, bars and everything else. So we've gone straight into, which is fine, we're talking about Arts Night, I believe. Which art is night. Art, art night. Yes. Okay. So you've given me the background to how you got involved or how the idea came to you when you were working in, in the Paris scene. And you, so you came to London. When did you come over to London? So I came in 2012. 2012. And then I was working. I started by working in a company. And then in 2014, we thought of establishing the festival. Okay. And, and that the was charity a- that is running it. So the charity running it is called Unlimited? So Unlimited is a production company right. and the charity is Art City Nights. Okay. And we have a board of trustees and we're a registered charity. And right. Okay. So the festival, as I said, is free. So really the mission is to ensure that as many people as possible can come. So tell us a bit about um, what goes on at Art Night in London. So it's a traveling festival. Every year we explore a different area of London, mm-hmm. which is very different from Paris, which is a citywide initiative. London being so spread and so wide, it seemed uh, more uh, sensible to just focus on one area a year. So after exploring Westminster and the Strand in 2016, moving to Shoreditch, the city and Tower Bridge in 2017, we just uh, did our festival in July from Southbank to Nine Elms and Battersea Power Station. So that was our largest project yet. So that's the whole stretch of the south of the river. Yes, going, exactly. Right. All along the river yeah. from South Banks through Vauxhall, Nine Elms, and all the way to Battersea Power Station, Battersea Park. We had about 12 new commissions and a further 50 projects in the satellite program, Art Night Open. So it was pretty, pretty big and exciting. And the, the idea behind Art Night is to have the festival first running as late as possible. So some of the projects will run as late as 6am and then to explore unusual venues, secret locations, heritage sites, public spaces, but also to invite artists to present different disciplines. So it's not focused only on visual arts. We really also welcome performance, dance, music, video installations. We've done a lot of VR as well, which is very popular. And all of that is curated every year by a new artistic director. So we've been partnering with leading contemporary art institutions around London. The ICA, Whitechapel Gallery, Hayward Gallery has been involved in the festival. And every year we'll have a lead curator that would oversee the So the curator this year... It was, it, was it June or July of this year? So July, it, July, yes, it was the 7th of July. The curator this year was the director of the Hayward Gallery, Hayward Gallery. Ralph Rugoff, and his curatorial team as well. Uh-huh. So it was kind of a... And I think that coincided with them celebrating their 50th year as well. 50th anniversary, yeah. and they also just reopened in January. So it was a big year for the Hayward. And for us, it was very interesting to see how you connect a cultural district with a very strong identity like South Bank to an upcoming area around Nine Elms and Battersea. And how can you encourage visitors to discover new places because i don't think a lot of people would associate nine elms particularly with arts and culture no and it's place in the making Mm. so it's changing a lot we've spent there six months working from battersea so we became quite familiar with the area and it's amazing to see how it's been growing and developing and every day so i think it's gonna going to kind of gain in this 
new identity in the mm. years to come. Incidentally, what was happening with the power station there? Every year they change. Yeah. They say it's going to be developed and yeah, it's open. all going. It's going they, ahead they now. They already completed, I think, two or three phases. There are many restaurants there. It's really becoming quite a vibrant area, and I think that Apple are taking over. It's going to be their biggest headquarters in ah, Europe, right? In the power station. So. Art Night, what's the intention of Art Night? Is that to get as many people in London and out of London coming into the, coming into the capital to enjoy art and culture in a completely new, diverse way in public spaces that they wouldn't normally appreciate art in? Yes, it is. It's, I think, our mission, and I don't know how much we... I mean, we, we're trying to achieve as much as we can every year. Uh, we hope that by bringing art to unusual locations, it will trigger people's curiosity and attract those audiences that don't necessarily feel interested in the contemporary arts. So most of our visitors first come for the locations and then they get to discover the artists behind, which is a great way to, I think, spread the the word and ensure that we have people that wouldn't visit an arts initiative otherwise. So yes, it's to get as much diverse audience as possible by using unusual locations, but also attracting passers-by, people that haven't necessarily planned to visit a exhibition, but just go on a stroll and see so something So they just stumble across something and exactly. think, wow, and look at that. that's, I yeah. think, the best experience of the festival that you could have. We had in Shoreditch on a Saturday night, you would have a lot of people just going to the pub, but then seeing a queue and just joining the queue, wondering what it could be, mm. and then uh, discovering a great work of art. So, um, so but I how think do you measure that that's in the terms main mission. of understanding whether they've appreciated it? You know, they've stumbled mm-hmm. across something, they go, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Do you have some way of measurement or surveys that you undertake to see? We do service every year. Okay. We work with our scheme of Art Night Guides and the Art Fund who are supporting the scheme and we have about a hundred over a hundred volunteers every year collecting feedback from the audience so we're trying to measure it as much as possible Mm -hmm. every year we have about 70,000 visitors over the weekend of course uh, some of them intended to come for art night and some just came across while strolling through the city yeah so so yeah so that's the main main mission but also art night is a platform for artistic creation so we also are very proud that it serves as a platform for artists to create ambitious new work and to experiment uh, with disciplines or venues like, like they wouldn't do otherwise. So it gives new opportunities to the artists as well. And are they themed each, each year? You have a, a different theme to represent what's going on in the area, for example? Like you have yes, Whitechapel. This, year, this year the theme was home. Of course, because the area is going through this very kind of interesting transition. So the artistic director and the artist wanted to reflect on what home means today. And it was touching upon things like home on the internet or home in outer spaces or home in London today with the housing questions. And so that was the theme this year. Okay, there's also something about gardens as well, I believe. Yes, that was the secondary theme uh, about the urban landscape because Battersea is the oldest agricultural field in London. That's where all the main agricultural offer was coming from mm-hmm. in the, I think, 18th century. I don't want to say any numbers, but... and the, Some things have remained, like the lavender field, I think. That's yes, that's right. Yeah. Battersea. 
So that was another, yes. And, and so, for example, you have a lot of gardens. You have the Garden Museum. You have New Covent Garden Market. Yes. So just in the names, some locations have remained. When people come to Art Night, is there a route around it? Is there a, a, a path that you recommend they go so they have a start and a finish that takes them through London from, say, when, the, when it opens, the event opens through to the closing? Or do they just wander around on their own? Yes, we encourage people to discover the trail however they want to. So there is not entry point and there is no route. But so just to go back to the mission, I think we encourage everyone just to, when attending the festival, we hope that the way we present the artworks in these locations will shift people's perceptions. And even those Londoners that think they know their city very well, they will actually discover something completely new. Mm. So as well as the tourists and visitors, it's a very new and unusual way to discover the city. An obvious question is, you say it's a charity, so how do you fundraise and how do you get your funding for this? Is this in conjunction with the, the Mayor of London, for example, and you have other, other benefactors and foundations who help support the, the effort? Yes, every year we work with about 20 different partners and supporters. Our main sponsor and great supporter for three years has been Philips Auction House. Okay. Philips is contemporary art auction house one of the biggest ones so they've been extremely supportive from the beginning we're also supported by the arts council and then we work with various foundations corporate sponsors co-commissioning partners a very important part of art night is its legacy i was so, you just took the words out of my mouth i was just coming on to that yeah okay. so all the works that is produced and that is not ephemeral so when it's vr work or uh sculptural installations we ensure that these works are then placed in public collections or they tour around the UK. And this is done together with our co-commissioning partners. So we've been working with organizations like Outset, Art Fund, Contemporary Art Society, um, DSL Collection that help us to support the production, but also to ensure the legacy. Mm. So what sort of pieces are now going on tour right now? So we uh, had a piece by Anne Hardy last year uh, that joined Leeds Art Gallery. We had um VR piece that was the first one to join the British Council collection. From this year, we have um a project from the New Covent Garden Market with Tamara Henderson. Parts of the project are now going to um, Geneva Biennial. So we have some legacies that are still on site. So we have a mural in Battersea Park Station that it will be on view for another month. Uh, we have another large-scale banner on the New Covent Garden Market, a flower banner that will be there for a few more months. We have a mural in Middlesex Street Estate by the, in the City of London, which has been produced last year and will remain a permanent legacy. And we just launched one of the venues I wanted to talk about, a project with the Korean artist Doho Su. Oh, yes. I wanted to ask you about this. Go yes. on. This, so this is a fascinating is a piece. Project. Yeah. This was initially commissioned in 2017 when we were working in Shoreditch we invited Dohosu uh, to take part in the festival he's a Korean artist I he's believe. a Korean yeah. he's one of the biggest Korean artists today uh -huh. his work is really impressive and it's exploring a lot of the um, themes around home as well and immigration and it was very interesting fit because the theme of 2017 was fusion of horizons when we were trying to make sense of the numerous waves of migrants in the history of Spitalfields and Shoreditch sure. and what 
how the area developed through the different changing yeah. cultures, I guess. So we invited Doho and uh, went on a site visit. And then he saw that bridge in the city. And instantly thought of, oh, I must create. He, he thought that um, there was this project he's been working on, I think, for years called Bridging, Bridging Home. And it was a lot of sketches and maquettes. And uh, he was always looking for the perfect location for that work, which meant a lot for him and his personal story. Um, because the concept is that a house, Korean traditional house, would stand uh, right in the middle of a bridge. And it would connect um, Seoul, where he's from, to New York, where he has been living his whole life. And so he saw that bridge and we thought, let's do this massive installation but uh we realized that actually the bridge uh which is two minutes from liverpool street station it's on warmwood street we realized that actually the bridge which was connecting two uh towers was a fire exit and that's where it all got really complicated and we didn't want to abandon this project because it was such a beautiful idea. So instead we presented a video installation by Doho Suf in 2017 at Christchurch Spitalfields. And then for two years we worked on making the project happen. So finally he got to present his, his what's it called, the actual piece called? Bridging Home London. Bridging Home London is actually, if you look at the pictures of it, it's actually a Korean style house. Yes, a Hanok yeah, style. Which is hanging, almost hanging from is it a footpath a footbridge that connects two buildings yes so it's, 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 a, it's a fire escape as you it's say, a fire can... escape if you see anyone on the bridge it means that there is a fire inside so <laughs> okay. it's not accessible it has been always closed to the public so how did you manage to overcome the powers that be in london the fire brigade and all the other authorities to get that permission? yeah it took some time and uh -huh. the project iterated a lot through different moments uh choosing materials thinking through how to make it uh viable sustainable in terms of the health and safety standards we've been co-commissioning the work with sculpture in the city which is another wonderful initiative in the city of london every year presenting sculptures on a trail through the city of london so they've been facilitating a lot the access and uh supporting us and the final result was unveiled a couple of weeks ago it's beautiful. It's going to stay there for 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 quite a while, at least a year, maybe more. And uh, we we were very excited because it's the first kind of very long term project we've been working on. What does the artist think of it? Is he, is yeah, he delighted he's, with he's, the he, end. He's very happy yeah. uh, with the result. It's not the first. So he's been presenting these homes um, in several cities before. There was a fallen star in San Diego. There was a project in Liverpool. So yeah, he's been really happy with the, with the result. And actually, I think it's really striking when you walk in the city and suddenly you see this house that seems like it has fallen from the Somewhere from the Wizard of Oz. It's bizarre. I haven't seen it in the flesh. I, yes. I must go and see it one day. It so it's going to it's going to be up there for a little while though. So I think people still have the opportunity. So what's the name of the road it's on again? It's on Wormwood Street. Wormwood Street. Wormwood Street. So yes, that's near so it's two minutes Street from Station. from Liverpool Street. Okay. You can't miss it exactly. No, you so. can't miss it. <laughs> it's worth having. If you can't go and see it in in person, it's worth checking out on, yeah. on the website. And, and this kind of forlorn bridge was a bit. A bit yeah. sad before, bit and down. now yeah. It, yeah. it looks like the artwork was made for this sure. place. And to see the people's faces, I would imagine, as they're walking out for the first time, and they just all they can do is look up and see this, this house. Absolutely. Sometimes <laughs> I just go there to see what people <laughs> see do when they see the, yeah, they yeah. See this, the piece. But we so far, we had a great But that, great I guess, is the joy of all that you do. The whole thing, the whole project is seeing the expression on people's faces because it's opening up their horizons and things they've never seen 
in the spaces before. They've never appreciated the space, so they just see it as, you know, they walk here, they walk there with their eyes closed half the time, you know, looking at their phone. But the whole concept of what you're doing is enlivening people's minds to what, what is possible. Absolutely. That's why I was mentioning how we hope to shift people's perceptions of mm. their surrounding environment and bring people to areas maybe they wouldn't go otherwise. It's interesting because my, the last person I had on the podcast yet to be released was one of your artists you commissioned for last year. I didn't appreciate it until I was researching for today, was Liv Winter. Oh, Liv Winter. Yeah. No, it was this year. Uh, this year, yeah. Yeah, this year yeah. at the and Garden I, Museum. Yeah, and I interviewed ah. her last week or the week before. And really, I didn't what a make, I never made the connection, but she never mentioned it. And it wasn't until I was going through, you know, oh. your list of um, artists. Interesting, yes. The commission. She's a fascinating person in she her own is. right. Yeah. The, we did... Um, a spoken word marathon yeah. at the Garden Museum. Yeah. And I think the Garden Museum has never seen that audience before. I bet not. And they no. were so happy about it. That's yeah. one of also another part of what we're doing. I think it's reinventing the purpose of some of the heritage sites in London. So some places like the Garden Museum, like Two Temple Place, you know, on the of the Strand, like the Masonic Temple, I, I, I can mention as well. Uh, later, these places that have been built, the Garden Museum just reopened after refurbishment, but Two Temple Place and the Masonic Temple are good examples of places that are historic and you feel all the kind of weight of the history there, but yet you can reinvent them for contemporary purposes and in this way drive another type of audience that wouldn't come otherwise. So the venues that have been hosting the festival have been really happy because it's a way for them to establish a dialogue with people they wouldn't meet otherwise. Yeah, I mean, they're getting footfall, aren't they? And they're getting some revenue, I suppose. I mean, one of the key side benefits of doing what you do is the added revenue, I would guess, that comes into the parts of London that you're, you know... Exploring, re- 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 exploring. yes. No, the yeah. economic impact in terms of the nighttime activities are certainly a big part of, we hope, we're creating. But uh, I don't know if you want me to talk about... Because I just realised that all the venues that I've selected that I thought I should speak about. That's what they have in common, I think. There is this kind of grand architectural feeling inside. Right. They are all very ornate. Uh And yet, we hope to create a contrast by presenting contemporary productions inside. And I think this contrast between heritage sites and its contemporary use, that's what creates also part of excitement and what makes the festival unique. Mm. So give us some examples of yeah. some of the uh, the buildings that you're talking yeah. about, some of the spaces. So a good example, I think, is the British Interplanetary Society. Yeah, now I saw that again when I was doing, doing some reading. I've never heard of it before. Um, so tell us a bit about that building and that society. It's a fascinating place that we found while kind of just looking around the area in Vauxhall with our artistic director this year. And um, it was founded in 1933, so which makes it apparently the oldest uh, organization that is solely devoted on exploring the space. So it's like a think tank for interplanetary <laughs> relationships. Right, okay. uh, and so they do a lot of um, symposium research and they also act as a deposit depository yeah. can you say that yeah. of knowledge in relation to the space sure so uh when you enter there it's really interesting because you have all this memorabilia and you know different items related to astronauts and space and i think it was founded by some enthusiasts that were hoping to land on the moon using a rocket so they were doing all kind of 
crazy research uh, to achieve that, that mission. Yeah. So that's how it started. And then um, when we were looking for, for different spaces in Vauxhall, and as I mentioned, the theme this year was home, uh, the Hayward Gallery wanted to invite a Turkish artist. His name is Halil Altindere. And he has um, this great project, multimedia installation called Space Refugee. And the Space Refugee is about the first Syrian cosmonaut in space who uh, was part of a mission in 1987. And Muhammad Faris, his name is, was also one of the highest ranked members of the Syrian military. But when the war happened in Syria, he um, decided to join the resistance. And so at some point he had to flee the country. Uh, so he walked and he managed to get to the border of Turkey. And then eventually he went, he got to Istanbul. He met with the artist, Halil Al-Tindere. And it was the beginning of a very long-term friendship between the two of them. And so the whole project, Space Refugee, is about this first Syrian cosmonaut and about his idea that maybe the only place now that would host refugees would be in is space. Out of space. So yeah. it is very kind of timely question and the British Interplanetary Society provided the perfect backdrop. Well, I'm wondering how many people in London or you know in the in the country even wider than that know there's been a, a Syrian astronaut for a start let alone one is uh, you know ended up having to be a refugee in Turkey, I think, where he met, met the artist is is a fascinating story. So then to find that story and that artist and create that that's use that space for yes. to exhibit and it was the perfect marriage between the host venue and the artist because we presented some of the existing works which was video uh, installation a series of interviews a vr work as well so a use of the new technology in this space was interesting and then we even used some of the artifacts of the society that were presented within the, exhibit itself. Within the exhibition oh, so you wouldn't say what was part of the exhibition what was part of the museum i think they even found a photography of the astronaut in their archives that was also exhibited oh, did he actually travel in space this this guy the syrian chap he actually he actually so he was the first syrian cosmonaut in space he yeah actually, he actually got made and who did he which, with the russians with the russians went. i was going to say yeah. yeah okay so uh, so that was that was a great project and it was also good because um, the installation was open for a week. So although the festival only took place during the weekend, people could visit the that, that, BIS throughout the week. coming together of everything, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I know that the society was so pleased as well no, to welcome were, all because, these new visitors. Yeah, because they're getting new visitors. It's opening up a building people wouldn't ordinarily have seen to a new story. I mean, the artistic story, but the story of the Syrian cosmonaut as well. It's wonderful on so many levels. That's really... And is that still exhibited there now? Is that a legacy piece or is that now all gone? No, it's all gone. It's all gone. It's, it's all shame. gone. But uh, <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. But the building's still there, obviously. I the mean, building you, is can, still can there. You still and you, you, vi the you can visit them. You can. Yes, and I have a great collection of artifacts, yeah. as I mentioned. And where do you say space. that was in Vauxhall? Yes, yeah. it's right by the station in Vauxhall, by, um, not far from Vauxhall Park. And that's free free to enter, is it? Or you have to pay yes, a small... It is, yeah, that's I wonderful. believe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was a good example. And um, similar projects. Well, use of space of a grand building or a, a big open space. Yeah, usually that's one of the challenges, actually, is the buildings that are so interesting inside. 
they tend sometimes to be small. So there is also the question of how many people can we host. And some places we really want to use, but we know it will be difficult in terms of the audience experience because you'll have to queue for some time in order to get inside. But then in the end, just opening up these locations is a big draw and I th- we really think it's worth it. I have this great book called um, The London Hidden London Interiors. I don't know if you heard I've of it. I've seen it and I've thought about buying it many times to it's add to my collection. So good. It's worth getting, isn't you it? You should yeah. really buy it. Okay. It's, it's Straight from here. Bible of off to the Bible of the Waterstones. Yeah, so <laughs> okay. you, I would definitely order it every year. That's my favorite time uh-huh. um, when we start planning art night, just opening this book and going through and imagining. That's the moment you can imagine that whatever you think can happen oh, i can see your face lighting up now you know yeah. the thought of preparing for so that's, the next that's really yeah, exciting and most of the venues speaking about now are in this book so two of them that we uh explored through art night are the hidden masonic temple in andas hotel uh-huh. and what used to be the midland bank because this is, was literally hidden away behind the wall wasn't it until they did masonic some renovation temple. yeah well, I'm tempted to say yes, but I have to admit that I think it's an urban myth. You think it's a myth? You think they knew it was there yes. the whole time? That's what the hidden, the London hidden interiors yeah. say. They say it's an urban myth. But the story is really interesting. And initially, apparently in 1247, it was the first um, Bethlehem Hospital. Then it became a hotel in the 19th century. And they had these apparently dedicated railway tanks that would go straight from the station into the hotel to provide them with all the food and salt bath. And then apparently it would have been closed down during the Second World War. And then in the 20th century, they would have rediscovered the Masonic Temple. But that's how the story goes. But nonetheless, it's a real authentic Masonic Temple that was built in 1912. And it's interesting because even the way you access it, you have to go through a maze of corridors up a very grand marble staircase. And then you arrive in this wood-paneled antechamber. And then you enter the Masonic Temple, and it's really impressive. So yeah. you have this. Yeah, I don't wonderful. know if you've seen it, but there's. I this, haven't seen this one, but I've been amazing in Masonic blue temples before. ceiling yeah. with a big gold star in the middle, and then you have apparently there is twelve different varieties of marble there. Oh wow! Which makes it quite very rich and ornate. Uh-huh. And again, we we found the perfect project for it, and um, and they were happy for you to use that. Yeah, so it's, a, it's not a Masonic temple they, that's in current use by, apparently, by Masonic Lodge. Apparently, yes. Apparently, oh, there's still every first Monday of the month or uh-huh. something like that, there are Masonic meetings. Okay. But other than that, it's an event space, so you can hire it that's wonderful. if you want to. But we did uh, provide access for free throughout the night to this mm. place. And we invited an artist, Lindsay Sears, to do something very site-specific. Just like with Halil Altindere, I think the best projects happen when the, um, the artist really is interested as much in the venue and, the, and there is a connection to the work. So Lindsay Sears, um, she did a project that was uh, very interesting because it was about masons and and we actually shoot a film inside so we had um little owls different animals and an actor reenacting a scene from i think it was uh one of i don't remember the name of this historic figure but he was he wanted to join the masons and he couldn't and so he created his own cult at the verge of satanism i think so bringing, so was, bringing the building and the thing to life. Yes. And, yeah. and so we shoot this film before and then we showed it on an amazing circle screen. And then people would just see the 
the movie that was shot inside. So, so I'm really upset I missed this event this year. <laughs> yeah, so but that was 2017. <laughs> oh, that was that 2017. Was 2017, yeah. Masonic Temple. Okay. But this year you also did the artist uh, Lara Favoretto. Yeah. And she did the Gypsy Caravan piece, is that correct? Yes. And that's another it, huge piece of hanging out in the public space, a bit like the Korean art. A bit like Joho Su, exactly. This is hung, hanging from a crane, I believe. Hanging so. from a crane. Yeah. So what it's was a it very exactly? good comparison because I think these projects are a very important part of Art Night in the way that they've you can see them from different places and they are just positioned in a way that as many people as possible can see it without queuing. So so this is this was actually an existing piece called The Poor Armad and she presented it many times before and it was in a very poor condition already the, 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 the artwork, the caravan. So we have we had to restore it in order to present it for the very last time before oh, the artist right. did um controlled burning of the caravan. And then I think she collected the dust that she will be using for a new work in the future. <laughs> okay. So it was the very last time you could see this caravan hanging in the sky. So she repurposed it. <laughs> she did. Yeah. And the, the, the story is also very interesting. She worked with different um, nomad communities yeah. in India and then in Italy. And the caravan was actually a replica, I think, of a caravan from the family that she met in Italy. And it was playing a polka music from the Second World War inside. Right. So, yeah, it was so very atmospheric. So the traditional music that goes with the gypsy style yes. of the caravan. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's really lovely. So, what have you got planned for next year? Is there another one lined up? Yes. Is it all we're under already, wraps? We're <laughs> already working on 2019. Uh-huh. When's that going to be? Do you have a, a fixed date? I can't announce you can't because announce. we will be announcing the dates and the artistic director and the venues on the 30th. But it's around the same time. It's going to be in June, July. Yes, yeah. it will. It will be in summer next year and we'll be announcing on the 30th of September. Because you were blessed with weather this year, weren't you? Absolutely. True, but we had, there was a lot hot. going on on yeah. the night because there was the World Cup, Pride London. Yeah. It was all on the same day? All on the same day. Wow, so you had a lot of competition. But did you have some crossover? I mean, did you have some, yes, guy, you know, definitely. from Pride I coming think, over? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I wouldn't imagine you have too many football fans coming over, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> what, what was the game? I can't remember. It was England playing. <laughs> was it, did we lose? Did they lose? Uh, that, that England uh, won. <laughs> they won, okay. Yeah. And then they lost. <laughs> and then they lost. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I think our expectations were a little bit yeah. too high this summer. But um, So you're fighting through all of that and still had um, how many? Uh, 700,000 people? How many people did you? 70,000. So, I beg your pardon, 70,000 people. Well, that's still maybe 700,000. Maybe 700. Year. But it's been going up year on year, hasn't it? Yes. And um, in the first year, what did you have? Year one? 35,000. 35, so, yes, then, it's been growing yeah. because in terms of the numbers of projects we present, mm. uh, the program has been bigger and bigger. So, we, as I mentioned briefly before, we have this Art Night Open program that is running aside of the curated program. And Art Night Open is really a platform for different independent curators, artists, and arts organizations to present their own projects that get selected through a panel. And so in total, we presented over 70 projects this year when we started with 12 in 2016. So your um, your organization must have grown equally to 
manage this huge project. I mean, it's a massive project undertaking for you now. It is, but it's very exciting. Every year is completely different because yeah. the area, the partners define also the program. The curatorial vision is different every year, which I think is great because for the audience, it's something new to discover. Is this how you envisaged it when you started off in 2014? This is what you anticipated? In it 2014, to? without knowing much, <laughs> we thought that we could do art nights simultaneously in, I think it, I think it was Westminster... Shoreditch and Peckham. So, yeah, I think we started by dreaming big and then becoming more realistic. But this way you've, you've contained it to specific areas, although, I mean, the South London stretch is a huge stretch. It is. Right down the it South is. Bank. But we worked, for example, we worked with Thames Clipper, which I think was a great collaboration because Thames, people, Thames Clipper, Clipper, the yeah. boats yeah. on the Thames. So, uh -huh. um, this was a way for people to discover, and again, to discover London in a different way. Yes. And so it's the best way. It's a, a wonderful way to discover another way London. to yes, move yeah, around. I love going on the boat rides on London. It's gorgeous. It is. Yeah. So you're saying you've got something new and exciting for next year coming up, the different part of London. You're exactly. Slightly, you're not going to tell, I tell us too I much. can't say, but okay. uh, it's well, going we, to be another part of London. I guess London. by a sort of process of elimination, we can maybe guess some of the areas are going to be a bit of a crossover maybe. We did announce uh, already that we will be part of the first borough of culture, Walton Forest. So we're going at auto boroughs. So that's one thing we already communicated. But you've got some new and exciting commissions coming up and buildings that you're going to... Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. That's really good. So what else have you got lined up coming up? Is this the, is this the sole project you're working on? Or have you got other things you're involved with? Yeah, so we just launched... Um, as if this isn't enough. <laughs> we just launched Doho's project and, um, a couple of weeks ago, and now we are intensively working on developing the next edition. And what about, I read also somewhere that you do some outreach work as well. So you take some of the, the art and, and some of the people outside of London. You go into schools, is that correct? Yes. Do some training? It doesn't have to be outside of London. We have an outreach and participation program that we started from the very first edition. And then we do many works on the backdrop of the artistic program. So, for example, we did a series of workshops at the Royal London Hospital that were inspired by uh, the work of Charles Avery. Charles Avery is another great example of an artist whose work has been such a great fit for the location. So he was part of the 2017 program and we went to St. Catherine Dock. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a beautiful part. Um, and, and Charles Avery's practice for many years has been focused on this imaginary place and concept called the Islanders. So the Islanders, he has been drawing them. Uh, there are sculptures and it's a whole imaginary world that came to life during art night in St. Catherine Dock. So we recreated their cafe, they were poetry reading, the actors were wearing his hats, and all of these um, people, the islanders, they have their own customs, fashion, uh, psychology, and so we, we reenacted all of that. And then we did a series of workshops after the festival at Royal London Hospital, which has the largest um, children department. And also they have a school there, together with an arts educator to bring the work of Charles Avery to the hospital. We did also a series of workshops based on Halilal Tindere and the Space Refugee uh, exhibition this year, together with schools around Battersea Power Station. And then every year we have our volunteers program with the Art Night Guides, which is part of the outreach. So yeah, we do, we do as much as we can, got a lot building on. on top of the main program. Mm. So do you expect next year to be even bigger still than, than I last think, year? I think it's not always about 
getting bigger. I really think it's about the quality and the visitors' experience. So, if anything, we'd like for the festival to remain quite contained. We hope that always um, the footprint that will be taking over uh, remains manageable and people can walk from one place to another. So, I don't think it's our ambition to take over as much. No, well, I meant bigger in terms of the number of people you're going to attract oh, to, yes. to the I event mean, rather I than hope, geographically. I hope that we'll have yeah. more and more people, yes. And what coming. do you do on the evening? Do you wander around the streets having a look at all your all the exhibits and the artists? And, or do you just sit somewhere with your fingers crossed having a coffee, hoping it's all going smoothly? No, <laughs> I'm, we're, we're kind of... I mean, on. we have to do all the work. Yeah. We have a very small team, so we're very hands-on. So we do the research, development and production. Just, I mean, another side benefit, which... I think is important is people are getting out they're getting exercise they're having a new experience and in the, in London which is a very high pressure place to live and work it, it's a nice relaxing thing to do isn't it and it sort of assists with I guess mental well-being and all these things that people are talking about mindfulness and being in the moment and taking in a new experience which can really settle you down yes absolutely although I would have to say that what I have noticed is that people have this fear of missing out and having one big night of celebration and visitors knowing that if they don't see some projects, they will miss it forever. It creates more anxiety maybe than anything else. Yeah, possibly. And I suppose they think, oh God, I've got to see everything all in yeah. one evening. Because it's, you know, and I, I always say you, it's not about seeing as much as you can. If you just, if you have a dinner with your friends and then you can just visit for example, you go to the Masonic Temple, you see Lindsay Sears' project, you stay there for half an hour, 45 minutes. It's already great. You don't have to visit everything. So it's not a, it's not a marathon. It's not about no, running it, from one location to the other. Um, it's, it's really just buffet, taking the it? time. Having a little piece of everything. As yes. much, you know. And taking the time just to stroll through the city. Yeah, just night. seeing it at a completely different light. Absolutely. And it's fascinating that you do it at night time because there's someone else I interviewed recently, a photographer called Ed Zolo. I don't, you know, I don't know if you know him, but he he photographs London at night. Mm. You should check him out on, um, yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, I'm going to write him down. Um, I'll give you his details yeah. afterwards. But uh, yeah, his episode is going to be released very shortly. He's fabulous and he's got uh, a large Instagram following and he does some wonderful work. Well, so maybe we could maybe do able something to do something together. with him as well, yeah. So just before we close, um, I ask a lot of my uh, guests if they can tell us two or three places that they love uh, in London. And you've already touched on a couple of them, um, was the British Interplanetary Society and also the secret, in inverted commas, Masonic Temple at the Andaz Hotel, which you've, you've spoken about. We've also spoken about um, the Korean work, didn't you? Doho's work on yes. Bridget Wormwood Street. There is another... There's another one you mentioned. There's another place I really like... I'm, I also mentioned very briefly, it used to be the Midland Bank, which now has been redeveloped into the NED. Uh, yes, I I know, I've heard, heard of the NED. Of that. Yes. It's pretty amazing. I know this place because a few years ago, when we were training for Art Night, we organized a series of events called Urban Tales. And we would take one place at a time, organizing an arts uh, project there. So we did, for example, we did a contemporary opera in London's only lighthouse and then we came to the Midland Bank and a few years ago it was just closed down for redevelopment and so the history of the place is really fascinating it's right next to the Royal Exchange and it was in 1918 I think it was the ancestor of HSBC and in 1918 it was the largest bank in the world 
And it was designed by Edwin Lutens, who's one of the very famous architects. So in, the interiors are really spectacular. And when we came across this site, we really wanted to present something. So we did a scripted art trail inside the building. And it, well all, it went all the way up into the tapestry rooms, which are really beautiful. They are still, all the furniture was there from the... 1920 beginning of 20th century you would have special boxes for hats and um and for umbrellas and then you would go down the staircase all the way down to the vaults so the vaults were it's all listed so and this is all open to the public it's all protected so today it's been redeveloped into a hotel uh-huh. and so you would get down to these vaults and that's where the um, filming of Goldfinger took place. So it was really charged with this history. And now, as I said, it's been, it's now a hotel. And if you go, it's open to the public. The The big kind of ground floor area, which is amazing, has been, uh, has an offer of about 10 different Those restaurants. Bars and restaurants. I know yes. my daughter's been there, I think. So if you're around the night, area, yeah. it's, really, <laughs> it's really worth checking out because you can just have one drink and then they have music, concerts every night in this kind of, 1920s Fitzgerald style. Sounds wonderful. It's another another venue I've not been to yeah, yet. Yeah, that's fun. That's yeah. fun. And the other one is um, that you can also visit, and I'm sure you came across it. It's Dennis Sivers' house. So uh, this was a f- site we used in 2017, and we presented some of the Chapman Brothers artworks there. It was really fun because we replaced some of the paintings they have in the house with the Chapman's work. Right. And you had to kind of spot the Chapman. Spot the odd one out. Yes, it was um, their work, part of the... I think it's called One Day You Will No, Wor- no Longer Be Loved series, uh, where they used existing old paintings and they made it into caricatures. So they alterated some of the features and also the Hogarth series. So we just, they were hidden on different floors. And this place is really amazing. And I, again, I think it, Art Night was an opportunity for a lot of people to discover it for the first time. Oh, you use that in Art Night, Dennis Evans. Yes. Yeah. So that so was Dennis the Evans House is a Huguenot family home, which has been kept in its original Yeah, so it state. was more, it's more, so Dennis Severs, if I remember correctly, he, in the 20th century, he bought the house and he decided to recreate what used to be the life of a family of Huguenot silk waivers. So everything there is a total experience of your senses from visual to smells. And it's really, I think they say it's as if you would manage to go inside a painting. That's the feeling like they want back, to recreate. like stepping back in time almost. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And everything, every little detail mattered there. So it was really great for the Chapmans to use mm, it as a playground. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I think you've given us three or four wonderful places which we will put on our list of magical mystery places to go and visit in London. So just before we um, wrap up, how can people find you and the work you do on the internet and on social media? So very simple. It's artnight.london, mm-hmm. our website, and artnightldn on Instagram. And Fantastic. And if they want to come along, they just there's a, a newsletter or something they can subscribe to to get updates? Yes, on so you can subscribe to our newsletter on the website and for any announcements, just following us on Twitter. Is and you'll best way. tell everyone what, where and when. On the 30th of September, we'll be announcing the program. On when? Year. 30th of, uh, no, sorry, <laughs> 30th of October. October, this yeah, month? Yeah, we'll okay. be announcing the artistic director. All right, so some of the a little bit venues. too early today then. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. No, not at all. And look forward to uh, next year's event. 